It's wonderful to see the room about filled this morning. We have a lot of visitors. Welcome. Two of our visitors here this morning are John and Barb Moeller from the state of Washington. John and I have been good friends since our childhood. Brother John texted me yesterday and he said, uh, we plan to be in Ohio and come to Cornerstone to worship tomorrow with you. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And then there's another thing I texted him back and I said, it's wonderful too that I haven't asked anyone to open for me yet this morning. <laughs> Brother John. Welcome to the Cornerstone family. Good to have you here today. Good to us to be here. I would like to think a little bit this morning. Uh, they're in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm thinking of a thought this morning about where Timothy, uh, Paul was talking to Timothy and he speaks about unfeigned faith. Unfeigned simply means sincere. Not pretended, but really sincere from our heart. So let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verses 3 through 12. Paul speaking to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath already saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I also want to turn to the, uh, the book of Philippians just for a little reference here. Philippians chapter 1. When I think about what Paul told these brethren... I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Just think of this thought as Paul is telling this to the Philippian church. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Think about that. If someone told this cornerstone group, every time I think about you, I pray. I thank my God for you. Think of that connection the Philippian church felt from Paul. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. For even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. So I just think that Paul had them in his heart. So he really was thinking the best. Are we that way with each other? Do we think the best of each other? Or do we have suspicions and doubts? And uh, I just think about that for myself. As we think about our church family, our brothers and sisters, do we think the best of them? Let's go back to Timothy again. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm thinking of the verse number 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. I'm thinking about this unfeigned faith has to be a personal faith. Unfeigned has to be a personal faith. He says, it dwelt in thy grandmother Lois, in my mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. If I count right, that's about three generations. How about us? Do we say, well, my great-grandfather did this, or my, grand my father did that? The old song we used to sing, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Is that really true? It must be a personal faith. We can't say, well, my father or my grandfather was this or that, which we're thankful they were what they were, but that's not good enough for me, is it? It must be a personal faith. Godly heritage, which we most here have, it's really a blessing, and we're thankful for it. But folks, it takes more than just that, doesn't it? It takes a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think there, I'm thinking of a verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We ought to give more earnest heed. In other words, pay attention to the things which we have heard, unless at any time we should let them slip. I think about that thought of letting them slip. It's nothing really drastic. It's just a gradual slipping. If it's not a personal thing, it's very easy just to drift, isn't it? Letting them slip. Let's pay attention where we came from and where we're at. We couldn't let those things slip. So the unfeigned faith is, must be a personal faith. The next feature is in verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm thinking now of the unfeigned faith is a powerful faith. It's a personal faith, and now it's a powerful faith. Verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Is that powerful to you? It's powerful to me. I'm thinking of another scripture in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
chapter 8, verse 15 says something like this. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Are you secure in your adoption? Jesus Christ has accepted us. He's adopted us. Are we secure in that? We need to be. Our relationship with the Father is dependent upon Him, not upon us. We're secure in our adoption. And also in 1 John chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 16 says this. I'm thinking now about are we secure in His love? 1 John 4, 16, and we have known and believed, or we've relied on, the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. Now listen, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So we're secure in our adoption. We're secure in our love for, in his love for us. And without that security, there probably isn't much power there. So I'm thinking of unfeigned faith is a powerful faith. 2 Timothy 1 again, verse 9, where Paul says, speaking of Jesus, who hath saved us. That's past tense. He doesn't say who will save us, or I hope someday he does. He already has done it, folks. He, if we are his, we are saved, period. It's a, it's a, there's security in that. I would say, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So he hath saved us. I've heard of that saying before. Faith alone justifies. Faith alone justifies. But a faith that justifies is not alone. You get it? There's something for us to do, not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. Okay, so there is security there. Unfeigned faith is a personal faith. Unfeigned faith is a powerful faith. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I'm thinking now about unfeigned faith, it perseveres. It perseveres. Where he says in verse 12, For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The question I have is, what have we committed to Jesus Christ? What have we committed? We have committed our very souls to him, right? Our very present, our very future is in Jesus Christ. He's able to keep it. I'm not, okay? It's his. We're his. We're secure in him. And I want to read one more scripture in the book of Jude. The little book of Jude there. Uh, verse number one. Jude one says, 
Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them which are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We are preserved if we are sanctified. He says you are sanctified and you're preserved. If, you're, if he doesn't sanctify us, we don't sanctify ourselves. Jesus Christ sanctifies us. If we're sanctified, I believe we are preserved. Thinking of one more scripture, which was one, again, one of my, my dad's, one of my father's favorite scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And this is a message to me, and I believe it's also to all of us here, where Paul tells the Corinthians, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. So the thought is, this unfeigned faith, it perseveres. It is, first of all, must be a personal faith. It's a powerful faith, and then it perseveres. So in 2020, where we're at today, let's think about that. As we have the ups and downs of life, let's remember to make sure that it's a personal faith for each one of us. A personal, it has to be, folks. A personal faith, and then we'll have a powerful faith, and then by God's grace, we will persevere. Again, and we're thankful to be here, and I just pray God's blessings on this service. And let's all do stand, Unfeigned faith. Is my faith really genuine? I want to go back to our 9.30 service this morning. Brother Blayton, I really was inspired by how the Lord moved through you this morning. Two verses that Blayton had before us were from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. And Brother Blayton said that it's only when my faith is genuine, when it is unfeigned, when I believe in him with all my heart, when I trust Jesus for my salvation, that I really have relationship with God. God's not in to the business of bargaining. I do this for him and he does that for me. That's what Brother Blayton told us. And he cited one of the examples of giving. Well, if I, I will give this much and I'll give this much more and then the Lord will bless me like this. And you know, I was reminded of an experience that I had just a couple of weeks ago. We were in Florida, and um, right before we went to worship service Sunday morning, Shirley and I pulled into a McDonald's, and, and you see this pretty often, but there was a man there in the parking lot sitting on the curb, and he had a sign up in front of him, and he said, uh, I believe it said, disabled veteran, in need, help, 
anything will help, I'm hungry, I'm destitute. Anyway, you've seen the signs, there are fellows standing at the stop sign or whatever. So uh, I asked my wife, I said, how do you think we could bless that man? And so we went into the McDonald's. We didn't really want to get anything there but a cup of coffee. But I said, well, I believe I'll buy that man a sandwich and just take it out there to him. I don't really like to give out money, but uh, I gave him a sandwich and he thanked me for it. And this is what I told him. I said, could you praise the name of Jesus? I said, just hallelujah to Jesus. Don't thank me. Now, I don't know how he responded or what he did. But I thought about that this morning as Blayton talked to us. Really, it's all about exalting God and giving him glory. It's not about us bargaining with him, but believing in him completely. The last time that we preached here, we had a message on legacy. What legacy am I leaving? And I don't really know how to uh, start out the message this morning without just recapping a few things that I said the last time because my mind is still on that. I thought about that this morning. I didn't tell Brother John what I was going to talk about at all. But this verse that he held forth in 1 Timothy really speaks of that. And I don't want to get legacy and salvation mixed up. I want to say that right up front. Our legacy is a result of our salvation, and our salvation is not a result of our legacy. You either have Jesus or you don't. But he, Brother John, cited us to this verse of a three-generation legacy of unfeigned faith. And then he cited us to a verse where Paul wrote to the Philippian church, and he rejoiced in God as he remembered them. What are people remembering us by? What is, our, what is my legacy? The family legacy for Timothy was an unfeigned faith. Continue on into the second chapter of 2 Timothy. You'll see Paul there had a, a legacy of the salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ given a doctrine of, of the gospel by the grace of God. We'll just put it that way. He had that. He passed that on to Timothy. He said, now you teach other men that, and those faithful men will teach others. So the bottom line was salvation, but the result was a legacy that would go on and on and on. So the point we'd like to make this morning as we start out is that everyone is leaving a legacy. 
either good or bad. First family, the Bible ever records, Abel left a legacy of righteousness that went on and on and on. Hebrews tells us that. Cain could have made a good choice because legacy is a choice. The Lord told him that he could have chosen to be accepted, but he did not. And the epistle, as John writes it, and also, again, in the book of Jude, both of those record that the evil and ungodly legacy goes on too. It lives on. So all are leaving a legacy, and our legacy is a choice. And I might point out that really what inspired me so much to think about this message was that in the very near past, probably the past couple of months, a lot of my friends who were in their 80s and 90s passed on. They're gone, but they left something. Something really valuable to me. So our, our life and what we're leaving, our legacy is really just the dash on our tombstone that is from the date of our birth to the date of our death. That dash is our legacy. What is mine? So we looked, uh, first lesson that we talked about this, we had read a, uh, a part of a commentary that said that many of the biblical scholars who had studied um, the Old Testament worship of the Jews had discovered a Jewish tradition in their worship where one psalm was assigned to each day of the week Seven days, seven psalms, start to finish, seven, the perfect number of completion. And so we looked at three of those psalms, the ones that were assigned to Sunday, the first day of the week, Monday, and Tuesday. And that's as far as we got in the first lesson. And we found that those points of legacy where the Lord spoke to us in those psalms were in the 24th psalm, which was assigned to Sunday, the first day of the week. We found a legacy there of exalting our Creator and worshiping our Redeemer. Monday, Psalm 48, a legacy. Am I, my family, my church family, focused on presenting the gospel and preserving the gospel? Am I a kingdom man? Tuesday, Psalm 82, and the legacy there was, am I blessing the burdened? So now we're ready for Wednesday of the week, and the psalm that was assigned to this day was Psalm 94. So if you'll just turn there. I think that's where we'll start this morning.
Brother Kurt, could you just read that for us? You can read loud enough for everybody to hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psalm 94. Thank you, Brother Kurt. That psalm seems like it's so full of negative thoughts. How could we get a blessing of legacy out of that psalm? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, it uh, speaks of a lot of wicked and evil men who disregard God and his people. But vengeance belongs to the Lord. But you know, this psalm speaks to more than just evil men. If you look in the 12th verse, it says, Blessed is the man whom thou chastiseth, O Lord, and cheatest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. So this psalm would teach us that there is a blessing in chastisement so that I might receive correction and teaching. You know, I was about 30 years old, and uh, I had a mentor come into my life that was probably twice as old as I was, and he was a man of a lot of self-discipline, a very godly man, and it seemed to me like he walked in holiness as nearly as a person could, But he shared this with me one day. 
He said, you know, I rejoice when the Lord chastises me and when he judges me. Why would he, why would he do that? You'll notice uh, verse 15 of this chapter says, But judgment shall return thy righteousness. You'll notice uh, verses 18. When my foot slippeth thy mercy, O Lord, holdeth me up. In the multitude of thy thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. You know, this brother shared with me, he said, oftentimes in God's mercy, he judges my soul so that I will repent and come back to him. Did you ever think about mercy being judgment? That's what this psalm says, that the mercy of God will judge me and chastise me so that I can judge the sin in my own heart, and again return to the comfort and the delight and the restoration of my soul so that I can rest in the Lord. And what I want to draw from this psalm and legacy is, does my life portray brokenness before the Lord? Am I leaving that legacy? Does my life really portray brokenness before the Lord. Well, let's go to, to Thursday. We had a, another psalm assigned to Thursday, and it was Psalm 81. 81st Psalm assigned to Thursday. Brother Bart, you want to read that one?
Thank you. As I looked at the context of this psalm, this is how the Lord spoke to my heart. I want to deliver you. I want to bless you exceedingly. But so many times the stubbornness of your heart is in the way. I'm going to use a personal testimony right here. There was a particular time in my life when the Lord wanted to bless me in a special way with his joy. But because of my stubbornness, it was a very difficult time in life for me. But the Lord spoke to my stubbornness in a very gentle way. Three, read verse one. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. The Lord spoke to me through song. Not my own song, but another's. Our daughter, Alicia, was about two years old at this time. And she'd never been taught music, but the Lord had blessed her to be able to harmonize notes almost perfectly. And I'd come home from work of an evening, and she'd hear the truck pull in the driveway. And about the time I got the truck door open to get out, she'd come busting down the sidewalk, running and skipping down the sidewalk, and she'd be singing at the top of her lungs. And as soon as she'd get to me, she'd just jump up right into my lap and my arms. And you know, uh, after a few days of that, my attitude changed. Lord, I'm sorry about my stubbornness. And you know what? The darkness and the stubbornness in my heart turned to joy and light. And this is what I want to say. If you don't like the legacy that you have been left, or you don't like the legacy you're leaving, change it. Just ask the Lord. You know, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Just ask him. There's another point I want to make here. And that is that it's just not old people that are leaving a legacy. All you young people are too. Whatever your age is, you're leaving a legacy. You know, when we get together as a family now, Alicia's 37 years old, I think. But about every time we get together, I ask her to sing for me. And she still enjoys that as much as when she was two years old. And it blesses my heart. What's your legacy? So I want to draw from this psalm. Does my legacy display an humble and a joyful attitude toward God and the people I'm with.
What are people remembering me by? Well, let's move on. Let's move to Friday. And the psalm that was assigned to Friday was Psalm 93, 93rd Psalm. Brother Jeff, you'd read that for us. Thank you. The theme of this, of this psalm is a theme in the Bible from the beginning to the end. The holiness, the righteousness, and the majesty of God. When Paul wrote again to Timothy, this is toward the end of the book nearly, in the Bible, he wrote the same message. The Lord is eternal Immortal, invisible, the only wise God, and he is to be honored and given glory forever. Amen. This psalm also talks about some temporal things. Talks about the waves, the waves of the sea, the storms of life. But they are temporal, and God is forever. I'm going to use another personal illustration. <clears throat> from the time that I can first remember, I grew up beside one of my grand grandfathers almost every day. For the first 47 years of that grandfather's life, he had both hands. But for the last 49 years of his life, he only had one. And I don't remember him except any time when he just had one hand. Now I'd like to give you an exercise today or tomorrow or sometime. I want you to go just for an hour with one hand behind your back completely immobilized. Try buttoning your shirt, tying your shoes, see how you get along. You know my grandfather left me with a little instruction. He said, be cautious, and we'd like for you to listen to this. He said, be cautious. One careless moment will affect the whole rest of your life. And that applies to almost any area of life. Be careful. And be cautious because one careless moment will affect the rest of your life. But you know, through all of the years and the days that I was with him, I never heard him complain one time about losing his hand. 
49 years without one hand is only temporal. God is eternal. I'd like for you to turn in your books, your Bibles, to Paul's letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, the fourth chapter. He's talking here about the gospel being preached and being lived out and being shared. And we're going to break into this chapter at the sixth verse. For God, who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then he goes on and talks about some of the commodities and the trials of life that we can be victorious in the inner man through those trials. And they're going to think we'll pick it up in the last three verses of this chapter. For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this is what we want now. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Is my legacy focused on the eternal? Does my witness of the legacy that I am leaving exalt the supremacy of God and the preeminence of Jesus Christ? Am I really focused on eternal things? Well, we have one day left in the week. And that was the Jewish Sabbath. And it had Psalm 92 assigned to that day. Psalm 92. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto his name, O Most High. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings, upon a psaltery, upon the harp, with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the work of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up as the grass, when the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they will be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall exalt. The horn of the unicorn, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes shall see my desire on my enemies, and my ears shall... Hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness 
in him. The theme here is the work of the Lord. The faithfulness and the work of the Lord. And the psalmist gives praise to God, and we're going to put it into the New Testament terms of the work of God in our lives. Am I really praising God and rejoicing in him for his imputed and his imparted righteousness to me through faith by grace in Christ on a daily basis? It does say in this psalm that the wickedness and the iniquity will spring up and flourish, but verse 8 says that the sovereignty of God will always prevail. The work of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God will always prevail. The last few verses we read in this chapter about the righteous flourishing like the palm tree and the cedar of Lebanon and those who were in old age bringing forth fruit I'd just like to talk to the older people here. Maybe not all of you are here. Maybe some of you are listening today that aren't here. But I'd like to really encourage you. You have a legacy and you still have a purpose with that legacy, and that is to share. For those of us who are grandparents here, you know, I think it's a time in our life to share the wisdom the Lord has blessed our life with and our experiences that he has given us victory in. You know, it thrills my heart when I see folks, and some are in this congregation, that are old enough to be my parents, my mom and my dad, and they're still active in the community, in the workplace, on a daily basis, sharing their faith. You know, that just thrills my heart. I have an aunt. She's in her mid-90s. And she still makes it her plan and desire to attend public worship every Sunday. And she still walks about three miles a day. And you know, I realize that's an exception. Not everyone can do that. And you know, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference if you can do that or not. You can still pray, and you can still praise God. You know, I've had older people say, well, I don't even know why I'm here anymore. You know why you're still here? Because you still got purpose. The Lord's still got a plan for your life. And this is a legacy I'd like to take away from this chapter. Will my life praise and worship God just simply because he's God? Not because of any blessings that he's given me, but just simply because he is God. Is that the legacy my life will live. You know, uh, 
I thought about Job. He said it this way. He said, though he would slay me, yet would I trust him. So we've looked at uh, these seven psalms as an outline for legacy, and they have spoken to my heart in this way. Exalting my creator, worshiping my redeemer, being a kingdom man, blessing the burdened, being broken before the Lord, displaying an humble and joyful spirit, witnessing God's supremacy and the preeminence of Christ, and worshiping God just because he is God. So I just want to end with a question again. What legacy am I leaving? God bless you. That's all.